Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This is Chapter 5 in a temporary reformatting of the show. Since the last episode, the city of Amarillo has issued a shelter-in-place order, asking residents to stay home except for essential services and activities like grocery shopping. So, I'm reaching out to members of the community, over the phone, not in person, to hear what's happening in and around the city due to the impact of the coronavirus. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Bivens Point. All of us with elderly parents or grandparents have been thinking about senior health care the last couple of weeks, probably more than ever before. Unless you're in an essential business, you're probably even staying home right now to protect Amarillo's senior adults. Eventually, this moment will be over, but all of us may get to a place where we have to make decisions about rehab or nursing care for those we love. When that time comes, turn to Bivens Point. Bivens Point is a long-trusted name for senior health care in Amarillo. They've suspended visitation right now, but if you'd like to learn more about the facility, visit BivensPoint.org. That's point with an E. And just to say, advertising and messaging are so tricky right now, but I really do appreciate the ongoing support of sponsors like Bivens Point. I just wanted to say that. Okay, the release date for this episode is April 2nd, but the interviews took place prior to that, so things may have changed by the time you listen. Here's the show. I'm Casey Stoughton. I'm the Director of Public Health for Amarillo Public Health. Thank you, Casey. I appreciate your time. I know it's been a really busy time for especially public health employees with the city. Um, so, so thanks for being on the show. Can you tell me what the current status is regarding drive-through testing for the city of Amarillo? Absolutely. So last Friday, our public health department, in collaboration with Texas Tech Health Science Center, opened a drive-through testing center here in Amarillo. That center is supported through Potter County, Amarillo Police Department, and Amarillo Fire Department. So we really appreciate their support. Um, the drive-through testing center is operational from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. each day, and we are um, asking our community to call our public health call center at 806-378-6300, and our call takers there are able to walk callers through the screening process and then direct them to the testing site. Okay, so people should not just show up there at the Tri-State Fairgrounds. You want them to actually call the public health department first. Right. So um, we want to minimize the time that people spend in line and minimize the time that they spend with um, face-to-face interaction with the folks there at the testing center. And so we're doing all of the screening and all the data collection over the phone through the through the call center at Public Health. And so our call takers are screening callers for the appropriateness of testing, and then also gathering their demographic information so that when they get out to the testing site, that process is much faster and they don't have to um, give that demographic information again. So all of that is done over the phone. How many actual tests does the city have available right now? So we're kind of... um, this kind of a patchwork quilt effort. And so we have received um, tests through a couple of different labs, and so we appreciate their support as well. We've received about 200 and 
50 through a lab called CPL, and then we've received another 300 through a lab called Genus Health, and then Genus Health also sent us some swabs that we're able to use through with VTM, the viral transport media that Texas Tech has made. Can you give me an idea of the the number of people who have actually called to um, to try to see if, if they are candidates for testing and then the number of people who are actually going to the facility to receive those tests? You know, we're, we're really excited about the turnout that we've had through the testing center. Um, we started that on Friday and as of this conversation, we've seen right around 360 people come through our testing center, and I would really have to talk to the ladies and gentlemen up front um, in the call center about how many people that, um, had the total number of people that have called, but we are asking people their symptoms because it's most appropriate to test, right now, to test people who are symptomatic. However, our 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 testing criteria is pretty generous. Okay, and that's that's one thing I wanted to ask. I, I know that communication has been a challenge for everybody, you know, over the last few weeks. And so some people have heard, if you feel sick, stay home. Other people have heard that there are no tests available. Um, tell me, at what point, like, do you believe somebody needs to call? What kinds of symptoms do they, you know, do you want them to have experience? What, what's the, the threshold for calling to check to see if maybe they qualify? So we're looking for fever, cough, shortness of breath, those types of symptoms, but we know that people can also have um, headache, muscle aches, even gastrointestinal symptoms, and so we invite people to, to call our call takers and, and walk through those symptoms because, um, because everybody's a little different, and so we do want people to call and, and talk to our call takers. Um, like I said, our... Our threshold is pretty generous because we do understand the value of understanding the epidemiology in our community. We know that other other labs and other places where testing happens for various reasons, they have to have more conservative th- parameters on testing, and that's that's important as well. But we feel like for this scenario, we need to have more generous parameters. Okay. And do you feel as if the number of tests that the city has available, is it something that will be difficult or fairly easy to replenish once we've gone through those? Um, so we're working on that every day, I think. so. And we've been fortunate. We've kind of set ourselves an allotment of about 150 each day just um, to make our supplies last longer. And we haven't reached that number and so that has been that has allowed us to carry over those tests from day to day that we haven't used and so that has that's allowed us to to carry our our testing supplies a little bit longer i do think that it's that the supplies are it's a national shortage and so it's something that we're concerned about and that we're looking at Okay, and I'd, I'd like to take it, um, if it's okay with you, from a little more professional to a, a personal perspective. I know that, you know, this is a job that, that you're equipped to do, that you're educated to do, but just personally with the intensity of things the last couple of weeks, what has that been like for you and, and for your team? Um, we have been working around the clock. So many of us have been working 12 to 15-hour days, and so that is something that has been... It's been 
it's been hard on our staff. It's been it's been good work, and like you said, we're we're pleased and proud to do that to serve our community. But it certainly has been something that um, you know we have families and we have um, we have homes, and so we are um, we're certainly missing our families. And I, I thought that Dr. Lamentier um, said it perfectly. Um, we stay here. To, to keep our community safe, and so we're asking you to stay home to keep us safe. Yeah. Okay, and, and is there anything right now, Casey, that is making you hopeful about uh, maybe the way that Emerald has responded, about um, how the virus has or has not spread in this area? I mean, is, is there a reason that you personally have any optimism? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm a, a woman of deep faith, and so I... I always have optimism. I believe that um, as a community, we will all pull together, and 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 we know the exact way that this um, that this virus is spread, and we know the exact way that the virus um, needs to be can be slowed. And so, as we all pull together and stay in our homes and wash our hands and you know, not touch our faces, then then those are the things that is go, are going to um, to slow the spread of this virus. And I am very hopeful. I know that this is temporary. Casey Stoughton, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling. I'm I'm very very honored to be able to serve our community and 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 speak to them in this way. Hey, this is David Prescott, and I'm the president of Talon LPE. Jason, thanks for having me on the podcast again. Well, David, thanks for being on the show. I know this is a busy time for you, um, and, and so I appreciate your willingness to talk. Can you, before we start, can you just give me a really brief summary of what kinds of services Talon provides just in general, not during a special moment like this? Yeah, you bet. We, uh, we are environmental consultants, and uh, we provide environmental services, environmental consulting uh, environmental drilling, uh, oil field construction, uh, safety services, engineering. We do a, a, a lot of uh, different things, primarily servicing um, uh, the oil and gas industry, transportation, and uh, heavy industry. Okay. And I know that uh, you've begun offering a special, uh, maybe a, a corporate or, or large-scale disinfectant kind of service over the past few weeks. Can you tell me about that? You bet. We uh, so historically uh, in the environmental services, environmental consulting arena in space, uh, where we work, we do uh, we do emergency response, and that could be from a, a train derailment to a tanker rollover to a pipeline spill, um, all sorts of, of activities that that the company does. We're in we're in four states currently: Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, and Colorado. And we, we've done over 20,000 uh, emergency response activities in the last 23 years we've been in business. So it made sense with our folks all being uh, properly trained and, and uh, able to enter environments um, that, that are hazardous uh, that we would be able to provide a disinfecting services. So we had our health and safety team and, and some of our brightest project managers and, and environmental scientists come up with a solution uh, to provide uh, the disinfecting services and do it safely. And currently, we're, we're providing services to uh, Northwest Texas Hospital, A&B, uh, Baptist St. Anthony Hospital, and uh, we're also providing our disinfecting product uh, to retail customers uh, throughout the, the Texas Panhandle and, and also into New Mexico. 
And what does that service involve? Is it a, a talent team coming in and, and spraying like a fog? I mean, is, how, how does that work? That's exactly how it works. So our, our team will, will uh, put on the proper uh, PPE, personal protection equipment, and they'll have on the proper respirators, full-face respirators. All of our staff, again, has been fit-tested and passed the physicals. They'll put on the proper uh, uh, Tyvek or uh, uh, PPE suit, glove up properly, go into the, the facility, and then we will use uh, uh, a con- uh, an industrial concentration of hydrogen peroxide, and they'll run it through an atomizer, and that atomizer will disperse the, the, the product throughout the structure, and it, it, uh, we let it set for about 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the size and how heavy of a concentration we've put down. We'll go back in and verify that oxidation has occurred, and the oxidation is what will destroy the virus. At that point, we'll wipe down the, uh, the uh, most used surfaces, keyboards, doorknobs, things like that, and then just hit the high-impact, high high-touch high points. And then we'll allow that, that, uh, that room to set for, for about two hours, and then it's able to, uh, to be occupied again. And, of course, it, you know, different, different locations have different times on when, when individuals can reoccupy that space. But that is, uh, is, is how, we're, how we're doing it. And, and to get into this, into this market, we were really fortunate. We, have, uh, we use uh, hydrogen peroxide in, in very high concentrations uh, in, in our uh, environmental field services applications. And we actually had uh, a large amount that we were able to, uh, to, to put into action and have it, uh, you know, based in the Texas Panhandle, which was really a, really a blessing. And uh, a lot of folks are, are glad that we have that product, seeing as supply chains have been disrupted and it's very hard to find disinfectants right now. Right. I was going to ask is, you know, you, you mentioned several very large clients. Is your capacity, whether it's for materials or uh, employees, is it enough to add more to that? I mean, are, are you able to expand the service? We are, and actually we're offering the service in all of our locations in Texas, in in, uh, Amarillo, Midland, and then down in San Antonio. Uh, We're working very, very diligently right now in our Oklahoma and Kansas markets out of Oklahoma City. Uh, We're also uh, offering this service in in southeastern New Mexico, Artesia, and Hobbs, and then up in the uh, Fort Collins, Denver area. And so several of our nation national clients have uh, have reached out to us for, one, we have the, the safety record, the insurance and then our crews are ready to go. So we have product in all of those locations with the, with the right equipment to provide these services. And like you said, two weeks ago, this was, uh, we do emergency response work, but we don't disinfect for viruses. And, and uh, I think it's critical during this time that we were able to pivot and, and get back, let everyone get back to do what we do normally. You mentioned the supply chain. Have you had any trouble, you know, making sure that you have enough of, of those uh, those types of personal protective equipment that your employees need? Absolutely. You know, from from masks to gloves to uh, to the Tyvek suits um, to containers uh, to uh, to bottle the uh, the solution. Um, foggers, um, the atomizers, I mean, all things in the supply chain are, are very, very challenging, especially from a PPE, PPE standpoint. It's, uh, you know, most of the, of the PPE is going to the front lines on medical supply, uh, you know, the doctors and nurses that are on the front line are helping get this thing under control, and it has been challenging finding, finding material. David, beyond the, 
you know, the, the teams that are actually doing the disinfecting, those out in the field, what have you had to change about the way you do business in terms of your sales teams, in terms of your office staff? You know, our, our, we're, we're fortunate that a lot of our environmental service projects are in remote locations. The, the service is considered essential, you know, a critical uh, essential uh, uh, service. Um, so we, we, we're able to continue to go to work in our corporate office. Uh, all of our staff is working remotely from home. Um, you know, in some of our office locations, uh, those, those staff members are working from home early on when this looked like this was, was going to happen. We, we made sure that our internal it group was working diligently and we actually did some dry runs, uh, of payroll and, and different things, um, you know, from home well before this, these orders to, to stay at home occurred. And especially with our markets, you know, in Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Fort Collins, we saw it very early on there. Now we're seeing it in, in Amarillo and Midland, I guess, statewide. Just a, a few hours ago, we, we got the notification that Texas is in that situation. Um, you know, we thought it was going to be pretty important to, to be able to do that when our clients, some of our ma- major industrial clients and transportation clients, started giving us the uh, the letters for essential work and to be able to uh, – to be out on the streets well before it, it, it impacted, you know, our part of the universe. Okay, and, and just as a final question, David, I, I want to turn a little bit more toward the personal perspective uh, rather than the professional one. Tell me what is giving you hope right now just in terms of the community, in terms of the climate that, that you've seen with your employees or your clients. I mean, is, is there something that's bringing you optimism? You know, there there are several things that, that are, are bringing me optimism. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, heavy oil and gas uh, sector, you know, that's a lot of our work. You know, when the, when the Saudis and the Russians started their price war and, and you know, on that Sunday when, when prices just, just fell through the roof, um, right after that, the stock market was, was it, it just, there were so many uncertain times. And, and I really was asking myself, are we going to be able to, to weather this storm? And What's helped me weather it is just the, the, the talent team. I mean, we have an incredible team. They're very motivated uh, to, to do whatever it takes right now. And, and I'm, a, as an employer, in the same boat. We're all going to stick through this together, and we're, we're going to figure it out. Um, I'm very excited about the, uh, the new bill that was passed, um, you know, the, the federal bill. And I, what is it, the Paycheck uh, Paycheck Protection, Protection Program. Uh, yeah, Paycheck Protection Program. I'm very excited about that. I think that's going to be huge, and I'm glad we finally. I mean, I know there was a, a lot of uh, bickering back and forth, but I'm finally glad that that you know our our, our government came together and and uh, came up with a plan that will will help uh, businesses and and employees and employers. You know, whether this this is unprecedented times to have a uh, a pandemic. I mean, it uh, it's just it's really apocalyptic some days when you you realize and you look at the numbers of of how businesses have been shut down and and how many how many what millions of employees immediately overnight were were without work and um you know i'm optimistic that that people are coming together that people are taking it serious and you know the the social distancing and the stay at home because it's you know it, it it, it definitely affects, it, it appears to affect uh, older populations, but, but no one's immune, and, and we're seeing that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic, and uh, I think it's going to last longer. I, in my opinion, I think we're going to still be dealing with this uh, first of June. You know, I'm hoping by the 4th of July things are a little bit 
you know, more normal. But uh, we'll come together, and uh, and folks are, you know, they are, and it's. I think that um, you know, if if there's any part of the world that's going to come together, it's going to be in the Panhandle because we help each other and we take care of ourselves. And and I'm optimistic about that, Jason. All right, David Prescott, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. As always, thank you, Jason. I'm Dr. Christina Drumheller. I'm a professor of communication, specifically crisis communication and organizational communication at West Texas A&M University. Dr. Drumheller, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I know this is a busy time, especially for somebody whose expertise is crisis communication. Um, so, Well, yeah, mostly just for uh, changing uh, online classes right now is, is the crisis at hand. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about how that's going uh, here in a minute, but, but before that, I'd like to hear a little about your specialty. This is a moment when a lot of businesses are having to really pivot in the way, whether they're doing social media, whether they're communicating with customers via email. I mean, that they're having to change the way they communicate. So what are some of the things that, um, that, that maybe come to mind because this is what you study and teach that, that businesses need to be thinking right. about right, right now? Well, I think uh, it's exactly as you said, where organizations are having to pivot right now. What we typically see are, are small businesses in particular won't have full-fledged crisis plans, and even some bigger organizations probably didn't have something to the extent of this pandemic because we are so used to really calm times, even when we do have something like Ebola virus that's hit, has been pretty isolated, or when HIV AIDS was something that hit our country was um, isolated to particular behaviors, um, mostly risky behaviors that people in, at large could say, okay, I'm not engaging in those behaviors. And so maybe avoid that. But you take something like this, where it's just a matter of going to the grocery store, going out to eat, um, that can affect the entire population that makes this something that businesses are having to um, take much more seriously. We you know, I, I can't remember a time in my life where we've had to close businesses and shelter in place other than for, you know, major storms or things like that, that again are, are small moments in time. And so organizations really need to be thinking about best ways to resume business as quickly as they can and often in different ways. And we're seeing some of that where we have restaurants that are doing delivery and curbside pickup when they never had done that before. Um, we see specialized hours for seniors to protect particular populations. And in particular, I think the more that organizations think about their people and their community, then they can make the most um, ethical and best decisions that they possibly can make. I mean, there are, there's no doubt some businesses are going to have to cut back staff, but trying to find ways that they can repurpose staff. So if you switch to delivery, can they, do they have a car and they can now um, deliver? Are there other ways that they can engage? Um, the other thing is really communicating very well with the public. So if you have changed your business in some way, explaining exactly what that looks like. Everybody's really stressed right now. And so for them to have to figure out, okay, if I go order food from you, how does this work and what does pickup look like? So if it's very clear, here's how you place your order, here's what we're going to do, here's how it's going to happen, I think people are more likely to try to support our small businesses in town. You mentioned the, the ethical considerations, and to me that's one of the most 
maybe difficult parts of this and and that you have businesses that are trying to stay afloat they're trying to continue to serve whether it's it's takeout you know at a restaurant but they also want to protect customers they also want to protect employees and and they're having to weigh both of those things against each other i mean do you do you have a framework for how to how to think through some of those different questions yeah you know again i think our small businesses are hit the hardest because they don't tend to have large stores of money to help support them when times are tough and they don't probably have um, loss of fund type re, uh, type insurance for things like pandemic. You know, they might have if a tornado hits, but not necessarily a pandemic. And those things make it really difficult for a small business. And there probably will be some small businesses that cannot find a way to resume. Um, if they can find any way to repurpose their business, you know, are, are you a business that can turn around and, and make masks or hand sanitizer. I mean, the, the way the distilleries have turned around and made hand sanitizer right now, um, and that's even been some small companies that have been able to do that. What are some ways to really build resilience into your company? And sometimes that means thinking about what else can I do? This is time to brainstorm and maybe even brainstorm with competitors, other people who are in the same industry to go, hey, how can we think about this a little bit differently? Or what else can our business do so that we can try to, to stay afloat? Um, you know, trying to keep as many employees as part of the business is certainly part of that ethical role, um, but they can't do that if they can't stay in business. So what can they do? And we often talk about crisis as an opportunity for renewal. So again, some of these businesses that maybe have had other ideas, but they've, they've just kind of sat to the background because they've been so busy, this might be an opportunity to say, hey, how can I do my business differently? How can I restructure? How can I change up some cultural things that really needed to be done that maybe might have some positive effects, especially as we, you know, move past this crisis or at least whatever the new normal looks like, you know, down the road here. In addition to, you know, to your teaching, you're also a department head at WT. Tell me a little bit about what things are like right now as, you know, classes have resumed, as everything has moved online. I mean, what have you been dealing with just, uh, you know, with, within your responsibilities there? Well, I happen to be in a, so I'm department head for history. I don't teach in that department, but I, I have been serving those faculty members, and that is a department that doesn't have a whole lot of faculty members. I'd say about half of them have not taught online. So we were very fortunate, I think, that our spring break fell a week later than the rest of the A&M system. So at the point that we realized we were going to have to all go online, we had a good week that we could spend with faculty and a little more than that helping them, training them. Our IT has been fabulous. Um, as I see other boards and some of the other things schools are doing, I think WT's done a great job of being concerned about the students so that we are providing them as many services as we still can provide them under the circumstances. Um, we have faculty members who are doing their best to put their content online now. And, and one of the things that we've really made sure we've encouraged is to be good to themselves and relax. And we all know, you know what, this is not going to be what we call effective online education. And this is not going to be perfect or the, or the classes you wanted them to be, but we will get through this semester together. And even those of us who are teaching online, we're already in online classes, taking the time to acknowledge that our students are in a different place now. Some of them now are in a home where three people are sharing computers because other kids are at home needing computers or they were already single parents who were working and 
and taking care of the kids. And now they're homeschooling kids also. So their experience has changed. And so being very mindful of um, our constituencies and, and what's all going on, I think has been really important. So um, it's been a little bit stressful, but really impressed with how positive everybody has remained. The last question I'd like to ask you is uh, a little bit more personal, and, and it's what is bringing you hope right now? What are some things that you're seeing that, that maybe uh, give you cause for optimism about the current situation or how we're responding to it? Um, wow. Um, I think there's some things that I find really uh, encouraging as I see in my community, for example, the kids who chalked the um, sidewalks or we did the bear hunt, put our bear out on the, in our window and, and that sort of thing. And I see community members trying to share resources, you know, where can I find eggs or, Hey, does anybody have a roll of toilet paper I can have, you know, and you see the community reaching out. And I think those things are what give me hope. I do hope that, that we stay mindful of what we've become really acutely aware of things that, um, those who have been in poverty or, or continue to operate in poverty already know. They know that it's really difficult when healthcare is tied to our workplace, and it's really difficult when I can't take sick leave because I don't have paid sick leave. And so I think as we've been really mindful of how do we really keep our workplaces safe and our employees safe, that we continue that momentum and ask those hard questions because we really don't have the safety nets in this country that we have for big companies. What, how do we help small businesses and employees alike? And that's what I hope. All right, Dr. Christina Drumheller, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for asking me. My name is Cullen Lutz. I'm the Community Engagement Specialist for Panhandle PBS. Okay, Cullen, thank you so much for being on the show. The first thing I'd like to hear from you is how Panhandle PBS has pivoted, you know, to to adjust to the current situation. I, I know it's in a unique position where it's producing content. Some of it is news related. Some of it is is education related. I mean, how have you just had to change workflow? Well, Jason, we've really been preparing to work remotely um, mid-March and conducted a remote test day on, I think, March 20th and have been working all off-site since then. Um with Amarillo College as our parent organization, we really follow their directives in terms of building access. And thankfully, for several years now, we've been moving more towards being able to operate remotely so that like on holidays or weekends or, you know, times of critical need, we can do things off-site so that we can do things quickly and continue to provide services on air and online. So really, we've been in, in really pretty good shape. Um it's amazing, I think, that everything can be managed remotely right now from automation, program scheduling, you know, all of our phone calls are forwarded from our viewers and members. We did have um, a couple of our content team's workstations need to be moved off-site due to some specific editing software, but they even finished a special edition of our news magazine, The Handle, on the census and the importance of the census all off-site and so um, using all of that and now we're all meeting with uh, you know Zoom and Google Meet and um, so far so good uh, I just think it's kind of crazy and amazing that we're able to run a PBS station remotely 
Yeah, it, it is, um, considering all the technology that goes into that from a, a daily standpoint. You're I, so right. Um, a, the technology standpoint that you mentioned, you know, we're used to using, you know, HD cameras and really high-quality equipment, and we're talking about ways that we can really pivot and think about how we're using, you know, Zoom calls and other, you know, low-tech methods to collect content and be in the now. You know, our content team is thinking about some some pieces about the mental health aspect of all of this and the economic impact, which is so important. And how can we do that now? Um, a coworker yesterday wisely shared her thoughts about, you know, this, this is all temporary. This is just a moment in time, and it will pass. And it's okay to embrace the tools that we have now, even though they're imperfect. Take some risks while still try, you know, trying to do our best and serve our community. And it really kind of time stamps everything and our work to now. And I think that's interesting and puts things really into perspective. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, that was one thing that I had been concerned about when I shifted with the podcast is, you know, I used to be worried about how do my guests sound? What's the room sound like, you know, during mm-hmm. interviews? And now mm-hmm. it's just, you know, cell phones and it's crackly and, you know, stuff is skipping and, and it all kind of fits because, you know, like we said, everything is is kind of moved to low tech or however we can get it done. And for the moment, it, it, it works. It's kind of freeing in a way, don't you think? You're kind of releasing yourself from the perfection and really focusing on the content itself and just and delivering it and and just kind of going with it and embracing what we have right now. I think it's kind of overcoming obstacles and coming up with creative solutions. Well, let's let's talk about that content because I know Panhandle PBS has been working hard to come alongside local educators who are now focused on you know, teaching kids at home and, and this distance learning platform. And I know that that's something that Panhandle PBS is already very strongly equipped to help with. You are so right. We're, you know, we are all about education. Everything that we do from our on-air content to our online and social media content and our community engagement outreach initiatives, it's all about education. And we've been in communication with Amarillo ISD and Region 16, and we want to get the word out about our free PBS resources that we want teachers to take advantage of. And everything that we're talking about here is free and available for the taking. Um, PBS Learning Media is an incredible online resource of free videos, lesson plans, interactives, and more for educators and really families, all in a searchable website. Again, that's called pbslearningmedia.org. At that website, you can search by subjects like science, language arts, math. You can even search by grade level, you know, pre-K, third through fifth, high school, and even Texas state standards. The content on PBS Learning Media comes from programs that we offer, like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Wildcrats, Nature, Nova, as well as content from other trusted partners, and even stations, individual stations like Panhandle PBS have contributed content to it. All teachers need to do is go on and create a free account and start finding and saving their tools. Um, You can even integrate PBS Learning Media with Google Classroom and Remind. There are online training modules to show teachers how to use it 
or we're happy to work with schools to conduct training remotely as needed. Have you heard from any teachers who are actually, you know, have have made use of some of these tools? I mean, uh, about the smoothness or the response of kids? For several years now, we have been doing training sessions um, using what we're calling master teachers. These are teachers who are in the classroom setting. They become trained on PBS learning media, and then they go out and then train their peers on how to use this site and these tools. And we have had an incredible response to those training sessions. You know, it's so easy to use. The site has been developed with teachers. The site has also undergone several different updates. So that's really responsive to what teachers need. Um, and knowing that it's PBS and it's trusted partners, you know that it's non-commercial, it's all vetted, and it's ready to go in your classroom settings. Okay. Cullen, the, the last thing that I've been asking my guests is a little bit more personal, and, and it's what is something that has been giving you hope right now? I mean, as, as you have been working from home, trying to keep up with your team, trying to continue being productive, I mean, is there something about the current situation that is making you feel optimistic? I feel inspired and optimistic by these creative solutions and the passion and care that that I'm seeing and feeling from our area school district administrators and teachers. Uh, the, the task of educating thousands and thousands of our area children from home across the region is, is daunting to me, but all of these solutions and creative solutions, you know, the meal pickups, the Wi-Fi access points, figuring out remote delivery methods, I think that's inspiring. Um, I love that Panhandle PBS has free resources to support area teachers. It's great to know that these are high quality and that they're free of charge and accessible to all. Um, I like seeing community partners and their creative outreach efforts. Organizations like the Amarillo Museum of Art and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, they're doing such creative virtual outreach programming in terms of the arts. Um, the virtual storytelling sessions with Amarillo Public Library and so many others. Um, at Panhandle PBS, we're even hosting two upcoming film screenings online where folks can log on to their computers or devices and watch films together while chatting on about them online. You know, more even more personally, like Wes Reeves shared, I love that it's spring. I've actually set up my workspace on my back porch. And although it's chilly in the mornings, it warms up and is so beautiful outside right now. Um, I think the more the more we can be outside safely, it helps remind me at least that maybe we're just all part of a bigger picture and um, right now a beautiful one at that. Those are good words and that's a good place to end. Cullen Lutz, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Jason, thank you very much. And that concludes the episode. First, I want to say thanks to everyone who carved out time for the interview. I know they've all been busy, but I appreciate that. I also want to say thanks to Angelina Marie for staying home and editing this podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast or supporting it financially, here's what you do. First, make a donation to the High Plains Food Bank. They're the priority right now. After you've done that, I'd love for you to visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. The support of my patrons allows me to continue making this show for free week after week. Actually, two episodes a week now. 
Anyway, this show is made possible every week thanks to my executive producers, Joshua Rafe, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Jennifer Callahan, Corey Burns, Chris Zelda, Patrick Burns, and Josh Wood. Sign up for the weekly email newsletter at bit.ly slash hey newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y. This has been episode 134. My name is Jason Boyette. Stay safe. Stay home. Love your neighbor. <laughs>